Fitzroy Basin Association is the natural resource management body for central Queensland. We live and work alongside the largest river system draining into the Great Barrier Reef. Our communities are acutely aware of the impact we have upon our catchment and in turn, how the catchment impacts upon our livelihoods and well-being. FBA brings you the second season of our podcast series, The Ripple Effect. In this season, we speak to landholders across the Fitzroy region and some prominent industry leaders who have worked here, aligned with FBA's philosophy of finding solutions to some of agriculture's most pressing issues. Regenerative agriculture is described as rebuilding soil organic matter and restoring degraded soil biodiversity to reverse climate change, improve water cycles and utilise natural cycles through farming as part of an ecosystem. Put simply, it's farming to improve the natural resources used rather than depleting them. Corey Hancock is a breakout rising star in the climate debate in Australia. Raised on a central Queensland cattle property, and now working as an environmental scientist, Corey has built a public profile, the environmental cowboy, to cut through the misinformation and begin focusing on collective solutions. Corey says the key to surviving in a changing climate lies with agriculture. So how did his interest in this area come about? Look, I was brought up on the cattle station in Carnarvon Gorge, central Queensland, (laughs) and from a very young age I spent a lot of time in the creek as a kid, watching birds actually. From eight years old, I had a scientific bird watcher's journal, which is not <laughs> very cool, and I, I have not admitted that publicly so often. But uh, as time goes on, I realised how important that was to me, that period when I was younger, because I actually sat myself on the edge of the creek for hours on end, just spending time, like hours, hours and weeks in nature just by myself and observing the interaction that the birds had with me as they came down to get a drink from the water. So I never hid myself. I was always interaction in that, um, interested in that interaction between people and nature. And so the drought came. I remember one really bad one that we had that went on for about five years. Nothing like the ones that we're seeing now, but the birds stopped coming down to the water as much. There wasn't as much wildlife as around, but also there were suicides on our neighbouring cattle station and people that were quite close with us and directly related with the drought. Times got harder, these suicide rates would Mm. increase. And so from a very young age, I learned the direct connection that we have with nature. I think that was just a natural progression for me to go into study environmental science and environmental planning. I did a Juro degree at the University of the Sunshine Coast. And from there, I went into a professional environmental career and uh, I'm a 10-year environmental scientist professional now by using a persona and this persona I named the environmental cowboy. I use humour to communicate my messages with a touch of inspiration but the inspiration sometimes comes a bit clumsily to get that authentic sort of body self. So everything that I did in this persona was a way to communicate scientific messages more effectively, but it was also an extreme version of myself. It's not anything that isn't me, but I took it to the extreme. You know, everyone has their thing, and I guess this is mine. It's my way yeah. to give back to the world, to make a difference. I've got to be honest. The change is too slow. 
that happens for a couple of reasons. We have an amygdala in the back of our brain that it's the fight or flight type mm. syndrome. That's an evolutionarily part of our brain. We're working up a two million year old reptilian brain, basically, which is designed to survive, not thrive, basically. So we constantly, because of that, we constantly look for what's wrong in the world and not what's right. So even with regenerative agriculture, for example, which has been a hot topic lately uh, mm. as, a, as a way that agriculture can transition to counteract impacts of climate change, people always will look for what's wrong rather than what could go right because of the psychological evolutionary impulses that, that we have in our brain. So that's, I think that's the first point is that we need to be very aware of what we actually do as humans. And the second thing is that change comes really slowly in human societies. There's two ways that change comes generally. It's through reaction. So if there's an event, an emotional event that makes you change, like you have to change right now, then that's the way that we change. We'll put a step in right now, you know, the next day rather than... Um, and the second way that we change is slow. Society takes a slow time to change generally. You know, it's one person saying one thing and then the next person and then a bit of a waterfall effect. But that could take decades. Mm. Um, the problem with climate change is that we don't have decades. We've got probably five to ten. I'd say the next decade is going to decide what happens for the next 20, 30. And we, mm. could be, we are definitely looking down a barrel that is quite scary at the moment. But the other side to that is that these extreme weather events are happening very quickly now happening a lot faster mm. than what we thought they would, and they are triggering those emotional responses in people to start acting. People are suffering in these droughts, and they are thinking, how the hell are we going to get through this? And now they're looking for ways to, to break out of it, to change, mm. because that change is coming from a reaction, an evolutionary impulse that we have to do something now. So people will be forced to change with mm. climate change rather than, having to change slowly, which is a good thing. So I think this is a turning point. I'm really positive about the future just for the fact that I have seen just this year alone the explosion of re the talk around regenerative agriculture and open ocean seaweed farming to feed cattle to reduce methane emissions. The, mm. the type of talk that's going around now and the energy around it mm. is... Um, it's quite incredible, really, and it gives me hope for the future that we can all turn this around really quickly if we want to. We just mm. have to make that choice. I think times are definitely changing now just because of the droughts and the floods and the bushfires. Yeah, I think it's really shaking people up. I think people are quite frightened now, mm. and they're looking for a bit of hope and a bit of conviction. So mm. the people, the regenerative agriculture experts, like the Charles Matthews and mm -hmm. Charlie Arnott of the world that are really doing some good work around the place and speaking and stuff, and they've been around for a while and they've been practicing this stuff for a while, I think that they provide some security and mm -hmm. some hope for people. The mindset shift for me is really about not thinking that the environment costs, mm -hmm. is that it is all a perspective. Because what really is carbon dioxide or carbon or trees, what, what are they? They're natural resources when you look at them in a simplistic view. They're natural resources like anything else, like yeah. gold, like oil. Mm -hmm. But we value gold and oil differently than what we do a tree. Mm -hmm. But the tree will grow. It'll help the soils become more fertile to mm -hmm. help us 
provide more nutrient-rich foods, and it also helps us to breathe. So our perspective on how we value that tree should be more like gold. And once we value it like gold, the economic systems and frameworks can be placed around that. And that's when the environment will actually be profitable. Mm. That's when regenerating the environment will be profitable rather than we're basing all our economic systems right now on the degeneration of the environment. So Mm. the clearing of trees, the raping and mining of, of land for natural resources. But if we place a value on the regeneration of nature the same way that we do gold or oil, then it's game over. We can regenerate everything really quickly and it will create those economic systems that we need. Agriculture is one of the only solutions out there, the major one, I see, for, for land-based regeneration. Mm. It is a huge part of the climate environmental solution. Mm. And we have to stop telling that story. Like it, Currently, it is a problem and you can't ignore that. Agriculture is a problem right now. Conventional industrial agriculture, we're driving the degeneration and the clearing of trees, deforestation, soil degradation, the destruction of rivers. But if we practice everything differently, and it can be practiced differently, these regenerative agriculture practices are based on real science, so it can be done. If we start turning this around, then agriculture can be the only possible solution for land regeneration because we've still got those farmers there out there managing it. We can pay the farmers to regenerate the land Mm. as well as provide us food. It's a win-win for everyone, really. Mm. So we do have to stop telling the story that they're just a problem and that's the only thing that they are. Agriculture is a problem. Our food production system is a problem. It's not just a problem. We have to see it as part of the solution. And we need to start looking at things from a holistic perspective. Get up on that mountain and look over all the paddocks and the cities and everything around. Get that bird's eye view to see everything from that bigger picture perspective and how we all fit into the system because we do all fit into the system and we all have a part to play. And we need trusted advisors to learn about the complexity of all these issues. And by trusted advisors, I mean good science, regenerative agricultural people that have been in the industry a long time. We need mentors and we need to work out what is credible information and what's just misinformation going around social media because there's a lot of misinformation. Power, in the end, is knowledge and knowledge creates clarity. So the more clear that you are about the path going forward and the more holistic view you have, the more that we will unite people rather than divide, which is currently happening. Whatever you do is not insignificant. Your own changed heart and mind can then influence everyone around you. You just get excited. You create a vision for yourself. Whatever it is, make that first phone call. Write down that first step and just do that. And then things will start flowing on from there because you'll start building energy from talking to people and chasing the dreams. And from there, it's consistency and determination. You're going to fail. The amount of times I've failed is embarrassing, but I don't see them as failures. I see them as learning. And I think playing football really taught me that it doesn't matter how hard you get hit, you get back up. Every time you get back up, you feel stronger. You become a stronger, better version of yourself. And that's the way that you get through it is consistency, persistency, and determination. But you have to have that compelling vision to start with 
that makes you want to get out of bed every day. Every good dream, it takes a long time. Go out and do something out of your comfort zone. Push yourself. And the more that you push yourself, the more excited that you'll become because you'll start pushing yourself beyond your boundaries of what you thought was possible. And once you start doing that, there's no turning back. But on the other side of fear is everything that we're searching for, the adventure, the love, the passion, everything that we want most in life is on the other side of fear. FBA has a dedicated team assisting landholders in their journey of practice change, including five accredited agricultural advisors. Ellie Carter, Senior Land Management Officer at FBA and a 2019 Reef Champion recipient, says managing land is one of the hardest occupations on earth, with many influences which can't be controlled. Ellie says that helping landholders change small aspects in the way they approach farming can alleviate stress and give greater power in times when it's easy to feel powerless. So what exactly does Ellie's role entail? I spend a lot of time out in the country, like driving around, seeing different properties. And I suppose the main thing is giving advice or helping people along that might be stalk or sort of offering people an educational training that might be available to them, offering, I suppose, a bit of an insight to maybe how other people manage their properties in the region or just, I suppose, a big thing for what I do is making people not feel like they're alone in what they're doing. A lot of people are just focused on what they're doing and there's not really a lot of opportunity for people to see, they might see what the neighbours are doing, the neighbours might be very conventional or set stocking or whatever it is. And they just see that and then the neighbours like, oh, I knew someone that tried something like that and it didn't work out for them. So people can tend, might get a bit disheartened. Yeah. And there's people at a lot of different stages in their journey. But yeah, so if I've sort of worked with a few different people, like not that far away from that person, it's really that connection so that people know that they're not, just because their neighbour might think that what they're doing is a bit crazy or whatever, but it might not necessarily be that like there is a good network of people. The industry as a whole can be that quite a lonely place and I'm sure you know, you've know heard all the statistics about mental health in rural areas. We're not just a, or giving environmental advice um, or regenerative agriculture advice. We're there to try and connect people a bit. Some landholders left school at, say, 15 or back in the day and learned a lot from their fathers and that sort of thing. And But maybe didn't do university or anything like that, but they've just got all these amazing skills. And then on top of that, they were expected to have business knowledge and animal nutrition knowledge and grazing knowledge, but they also need to be able to fix a ute that's broken down or do some sort of veterinary thing on a cow that's having trouble or whatever it is. There's just such a range of skills. As a job description or as a role, being a landholder, being a farmer is a very difficult job. I mean, there are specific Issues that people face is um, drought. There's a bit of an issue at the moment with the pasture dieback that's getting everywhere at the moment. There's a lot of different issues that landholders in their specific region struggle with. You know, I was actually down at a conference in Victoria a few weeks ago and they were actually all complaining about how wet it was um, <laughs> and having trouble with that and they're having trouble with fertiliser runoff and mm. all that sort of thing. And so there's always specific challenges to areas. But in our region, I mean, Queensland and New South Wales are in a drought at the moment and that's 
it's big on people's minds when I do property visits. And I suppose the, the big thing for me is to just to try and say, yep, it will rain again at some point. And we've got to try and think about, can we change our management for when that happens? And it is extremely hard. And I obviously don't have my own property and I, I don't have the same struggles that they're facing. And I understand that. I suppose it's just trying to get a bit of a positive thought as far as, oh, what can we think about when the drought does break? How can we manage our property a bit differently and maybe plan a bit differently for how much feed we have and forage budgets and manage our pasture for the for the next dry season? Like Just trying to think about future ideas. And I suppose that's the thing that can get people through these really hard times too. Yeah, okay, the land might not be in the best condition now, but if we can just maybe open our minds a little or change our approach for future, and that's what we've got to think about because if you're just thinking about how dry it is now and how horrendous it, it is on some people's places, and then, yeah, you really are just going to get down into the depths, whereas, I mean, I'm no counsellor by any means, but I'm just trying to get the approach about what do we do in the future and maybe if we've got a bit of time to go and do a course or something like that just so we are prepared because it will it will rain again at some point. A lot of the time we are dealing with people who are really on this early adopter track and have maybe been through a succession plan and that sort of thing and are really trying to change the management of their place or something like that. So we deal a lot with that and they might not have big books in the bank so maybe we can help them financially with um, some fencing or water points or something like that, which is what we've done a bit of. That's a really great feeling for me is that we've got these people who are really pushing boundaries and might just need a little step up and then they're off great guns blazing along and they've done a couple of courses that we might have part funded and that sort of thing and that's great. And then, you know, even just those people that are really just starting to dip their toe in the water, they might not be ready for a full-on seven-day course or whatever, but they might just come along to one field day and then they ask you out there for a visit and then you're really starting that suit, really starting that change. It's a great feeling. And, I mean, there's no specific – you can't really put people in a box as in oh, all the early adopters are in this financial position or this family position or whatever it is mm. and all the late adopters are in this position. It's just – it's a range of different things. Sometimes it might come back to what I said before is farmers are expected to have so much knowledge about such a range of different things. And you might have people that are really keen on their genetics and breeding and know all there is to know about a certain breed of cattle or whatever it is, but maybe they're not so keen on learning about grazing management or that sort of thing. But you've just got to be across so many different things that if I can just help a little bit, I suppose that's what it's all about, really. So there's no like specific thing where oh, the early adopters are in this box or whatever. And I suppose, as I said before, the connecting of people is the big thing. So you might have those early adopters at a certain stage here and you might have people just sticking their toe in the water of changing practices. But if we can maybe link them up at a workshop or get them to even ring maybe the other one or however it is, it's better off coming from a landholder's mouth who's in that a similar position Mm. than it is from me who I don't have my own block of land and I'm learning and I'd love to have my own block one day. But, yeah, it's better to come from someone who's in a similar position to that. This job is a big thing about reading people. Mm. I listened to Charlie Arnott speak the other day and he's like, you've got to change the paddock between your ears. Mm -hmm. And that was a big thing that 
like resonated with me. There's no point trying to get people to change this paddock out here if they're not starting to change the paddock between their ears. So you do have people in different personality types and there's always people that are risk averse, whereas some people love to go bungee jumping. And if we can sort of just get this cross collaboration happening a bit more, that I think that might be the key. Finding the people you can trust for advice is the safest first step you can take towards changing your land management. To find out how FBA can assist you through property visits, training days or through our resources, visit our website fba.org.au or call 49992800. In our next episode of The Ripple Effect, we'll hear about the forgotten element of looking after the land looking after our farmers. When we consider farming holistically, we must also look after our own mental health. Rural mental health, with increasing pressures, is becoming a rising issue in modern times. We find out how those who take up the call in the isolated occupation of farming can access resources to support a healthy frame of mind. We'll speak to landholders and to Tim Saal, Acting CEO at Rural and Remote Mental Health. Join us next time on The Ripple Effect.